We're deep into the book of Jonah right now, and uh, I want to make sure that this experience for you, because it's something new, it's something we've never encountered before, you're sitting in your homes and your your workplaces, or I don't know where it is at the moment that you're, you're actually watching this from, but there's a great chance that you can actually just let this go straight over your head and ignore everything that you know or you hear. But I believe that we have a unique opportunity in these times to take the Word of God and apply it practically to our lives. We, some of us have more time to do that. Some of us at least should be praying more about what the situation is in our world today. And so I want to, I want to start this morning in prayer. I want to actually gather us together. So if you're, if you're sitting down, can I ask you to stand uh, if you're able to, if you're watching in, the, in the, your car or somewhere quiet, hopefully it's not driving, um, then you can't do that. But let's just begin this morning by submitting what we hear to the will of God in our lives. So Lord, I thank you that as we hear your word this morning, as we learn from your word, that it actually doesn't just enter our ears and into our minds, but it sinks into our hearts, that we actually take on board what your word is trying to tell us so that we can actually change our lives to make an effective difference in this world because we are not just hearers of your word but doers of your word. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been driving to work or something similar and then you come to the realisation that you can't remember anything of the last 15 minutes of the drive? I certainly haven't. I'm innocent of that. Uh, Not... Uh, like most of us, this is, this is something that's happened to us all at least once. And it's an experience we can all have with our spiritual lives. There's a, a very slow process, process of decisions that have landed us at a place of spiritual apathy, of being asleep at the wheel. And all of a sudden, we're doing things we never thought we'd do. We're thinking thoughts we never thought we'd think. And we're doing things that are suddenly a part of our life. And you sit up and think, how did I get here? You're asleep at the wheel. And this is precisely the sort of dynamic that Jonah chapter 1 is exposing for us. Some of us can be in a state of perpetual disengagement, right? It's like you've been doing this stuff all your life and you're like, where did the last three months go? And these times, that's, that's probably not happening, uh, that we, we actually know our lives have been shaken up in, in the, the last few months um, and that's unlikely to have happened to us now. But in the previous three months, we could have asked ourselves, you know, what has been happening? And Jonah chapter 1 is really a portrait of spiritual apathy. It's a portrait exploring why and how and what's happening to us while we're asleep at the wheel spiritually. And it talks about the tragedy that this can really be in our lives. So let's catch up with our our horrible friend Jonah again. Uh, First step that he has to do is go south. Jonah's in the north of Israel. He has to go south to the port of Joppa. Uh, At least that's how I'm I'm pronouncing it. You may disagree with that that pronunciation, but uh, um, that's where we're going. So, but that's actually a detail uh, where he's going that's important. We'll see in a second here. And so he goes south and hops on a boat to flee. And if we catch up at verse 4, we see that it says, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Now, this is where in our English translations we miss a lot of the nuances in the Hebrew because In Hebrew, this literally says that the ship pondered breaking into pieces. So it's like the ship is actually thinking, should I stay together? Should I stay apart? I don't know. This storm's pretty intense. And the idea is that 
for a Hebrew reader, they, they would have probably chuckled a bit. Our English translation has kind of covered up that. But the ship is actually thinking in this line of Scripture. In verse 5, we're going on, it says, Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw all the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But at this time, all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So look at what the sailors are doing. I mean, are the sailors asleep? No, they're wide awake. They're yelling. You can imagine that they're throwing their own livelihood over the side. They're throwing their cargo, which is their commission. It was what they were going to be paid. So they've lost all their money because that's all they were carrying. And notice they're awake and they're alert to what is happening here. What are they doing? They're afraid and they're throwing their cargo overboard. But what else are they doing? They're praying. To whom are they praying? Anybody they can think of. All kinds of different gods, each to his own god. So first, first of all, they're alert enough to recognise this is not a normal storm and there are divine powers at work here. And so they do the shotgun approach to prayer, which is what you do when you're a polytheist. You shout out as many prayers to as many gods as you can. But what was Jonah doing? All of this frenetic activity, the calling, the praying, the cargo overboard, the frightened yelling and so on. In contrast to this, the prophet, the man of God, what's he doing? He's asleep. He's gone down below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And there's a word play that's a, th a little thread through this first part of the chapter here that's all about this language of Jonah going down and down and down. Where did he go to get to Joppa? What did it say? He went down to Joppa. And then literally in Hebrew it says he went down into the ship. In verse 5 he went below the deck into the depths of the ship and then he went down and lay down in a deep sleep. And so here's this image. Here's this, this prophet, this man of God. And we've got these pagan sailors who are very alert to the fact that there's a divine, mysterious power at work. And where's the religious man of God? He's slowly descending into a state of literal and spiritual slumber. And this is a very powerful portrait that the author develops here with this repetition of down and down and down. He's depicting Jonah's sin here as something that has led him to this kind of numb, dead-end, unaware state asleep at the wheel. So who suffers as a result of Jonah's spiritual apathy? How's Jonah doing? He's great. He's sleeping like a baby. Who's suffering as a result of his bad decisions? Everyone around him. The sailors are. This is actually a very insightful place in the text. In other words, his sin is selfishness. He knows better than God and everyone else, and he acts accordingly. This has led him into a state where he is totally unaware of the people around him, even though he's bringing ruin on them. Jonah has become this relational wrecking ball in the people's lives around him. He's totally unaware, he's dulled by his apathy, and he's completely unaware that all this is taking place around him. It's a profound image of the nature of sin and its consequences in our lives. And so we're raised in this culture that essentially says, your moral decisions and your moral compass is kind of choose your own adventure. And as long as you don't hurt anybody else and everybody's consenting, then whatever. It's morally permissible. And just like Disney's Jiminy Cricket, let your conscience be your guide. And that's kind of the way our culture operates. And so what do the scriptures do? And you don't even have to be religious to agree with this. What the scriptures do is expose that idea as utterly naive and simplistic. The Bible's account of human decision-making and the way it shines a light on our own moral decisions and how they affect other people is very profound and sophisticated. And so what the author of Jonah is trying to tell us 
is that Jonah's decisions are not just his own. What at first was a private decision between Jonah and his God, all of a sudden wreaks havoc in the lives of other people. He's so self-absorbed, he's not even aware that he's a force of ruin in other people's lives. No, it's the tragedy of falling asleep at the wheel spiritually and morally. And then he gets worse and more intense in verse 6. Who has to go and wake him up? It's the captain of this ship. Verse 6 says, so the captain went down. He didn't send anybody else. The captain himself went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Now, you've got to laugh here. Does Jonah's God notice them? Well, very much. He's In fact, the, the whole reason they're in this mess is because Jonah's God has already noticed them. And this is ironic in, in, in so many ways because he, Jonah's a prophet. He's received and spoken the very word of Yahweh before, and yet he has to be reminded to do something as simple as pray. By whom? By this pagan, polytheistic sailor who doesn't know Yahweh from anyone else. He's like, well, call in your God. We didn't check on yours, and so let's try him. And that didn't seem to work either. In verse 7, it says, Then the, true, the, the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Seems a bit odd that they'd ask what line of work he's in, but they were desperate. What does what you do have to do with anything? But they are really, really worked up. They are desperate to find an answer to their dilemma. And in verse 9, we discover Jonah answers, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. I mean, come on. He's the one who made the sea and the dry land. He says, I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven. He's the God who has power over the sea and whom I'm running from on a boat. I mean, come on. Uh, that exposes Jonah as fairly stupid in his decision-making. And I think we're even supposed to be scandalised that he even say something like this. What is he talking about? He doesn't fear Yahweh at all. We can see it right here. We can see in his words and his religious confession of faith are in deep contradiction to the choices that he's been making. And we're just taking it in. We're just reading this story. Great story. All this about storms. Can't believe this guy. Can't believe anybody would actually behave this way. I'm sure I wouldn't. And there you go. We've fallen into the trap. The very fact that we start to feel a little superior to Jonah means that we're following right into his trap. Because what he's doing with the story, he's holding a mirror up to our faces and he's saying, really? You've never had a contradiction between what you say and what you believe? Really? You're really superior to Jonah? Congratulations, because if that's the case, you've got to be asleep at the wheel if you really believe that about yourself. And even the sailors can see the contradiction. I mean, look at verse 10. It gets better. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. And you can just see, that. oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And this is, this is just the place where the storyteller whispers in their ears and say, well, see, they knew he was running away from Yahweh because he'd already told them that. And so the sea gets rougher and rougher. And in verse 11, it says, since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. 
And here again, we see he's prepared to die rather than go to Nineveh. And he's getting innocent people involved in his death as well. We know what the, the sailors think about that. They think it's a horrible idea. It's in verse 13 it says, Instead, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. So when the, first, the storm first hit, who were they crying out to? They were crying out to anybody they could think of, all the different gods. And now they've had this experience. They've come to a place where we're going to see that they recognise there is only one God who has power over the sea and the land, the most powerful God who's the only God who can rescue us now, and that's Yahweh. And so in verse 14, then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death, O Lord. You have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Something's changed inside these sailors. Now they're recognising Yahweh. And this this is ironic because the first prayer offered to Yahweh in this chapter, and who does it not come from? Jonah. Who does it come from? These pagan sailors. Whatever they've clung to, whatever they're, they're doing, they've suddenly clued in to what's going on. And so here's the greatest tragedy, I think, of Jonah chapter 1, is that you have God's own prophet, his own covenant man, and he's so tuned out and apathetic and asleep because of his sin, he's not even aware of the fact that these other people around him are totally alert and alive, and God's doing amazing things right around him. He can't even see it. He's so turned in on himself on his own little deal that he misses out on being a part of this conversion of the sailors around him because he's thinking about himself and himself alone. He is totally tuned out. I can't think of a more accurate depiction of what spiritual apathy and spiritual slumber looks like for us. In verse 15, it says, Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now, wait just a minute. Let's... Let's just unpack that last line because it's so easy to gloss over. They offered a sacrifice, vowed to serve him. Where where did they do this? Well, it certainly wasn't on the boat because there was nothing on the boat. They'd thrown everything overboard. And so what this is saying is that after the storm had stopped, after the boat had got back to land, after everything had come to a conclusion and they'd got back to dry land, they actually went, bought a sacrifice, went to a temple where they could offer that sacrifice to Yahweh and they gave their lives to him. So in all of this, in all of this where where Jonah's running away from God, somewhere in that mix, all of these sailors have turned turned to God and vowed to serve him. And Jonah isn't even aware of this. And so in verse 17, it says, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. We're going to continue more with Jonah and the fish next week. But let me ask you this question. How do you wake up spiritually? I I don't know. What does Jonah do to wake up spiritually? You see, Jonah doesn't do anything. Something is done to him. All he does is he sits at the very bottom of his character a thousand decisions that have made him this hypocritical man, and he throws up his hands and says, you know, I give up. And right at this moment where he feels like he's meeting his own death, that becomes the place where God meets him 
with his grace. And he gives him a second chance at life. God's grace happens to him. And he becomes awake to it for the very first time, which is good news for people like us. We're a community of people struggling with a situation right now that is day by day restricting what we can do. And we're all feeling that something is being taken from us. We need to wake up to the fact that God has done something for us that transcends our current problems. I don't know how to wake you up. I'm not even qualified to. I don't know how to wake myself up except to wake up to the fact that I'm helpless. And that's all I have to do. And Jesus can work with that. That's precisely where Jonah lands. He just throws his hands up. And you know, if we're honest, we're seeing ourselves in different moments in this story. The contradiction between what we say and what we actually do. The way that we are, and and we may not be aware of it, but we are the wrecking balls in the lives of other people around us. And we may be totally ignorant of that fact. I mean, I bet your best friends aren't totally ignorant of that fact, but you might be. And so this is what it means when it says coming to Jesus and saying, I'm asleep at the wheel. I don't know what to do, but I know I'm screwed up. And he can work with that. Jesus can work with that. I believe God's spirit can show you what this message means to you. And So let's just humble ourselves, throw our hands up and wake up to the mercy and grace that's available to us in Jesus.